Welcome to Illinois Family Spotlight, a conversation about issues of the day from a biblical perspective, as well as highlights from interviews, conferences, and events. Here's David Smith and Monty Larrick. Thanks for making Illinois Family Spotlight part of your day. IFI's Lori Higgins says government schools in Illinois are too far gone for Christian parents to send their kids there. They'll only get worse with the recently approved culturally responsive teaching and leading standards. And if state lawmakers approve the REACH Act, comprehensive pro-LGBTQ sex ed with the blessing of Planned Parenthood will be taught in K through 12 classrooms. Lori was interviewed about those topics and others by Janet Parshall during Moody Radio's In the Market program. You know, the blessing in having a microphone that goes all across the country is that it can be used as a warning bell. And you can start looking well to the ways of your household, as Scripture commends us to do. I keep going back to Nehemiah. love that part of Scripture where he was doing what he had to do to repair that busted wall in Jerusalem. But he never took his eyes off what was happening. The wall was broken in the first place because of an assault, an enemy. And so he reminded his people that when you hear the sound of the trumpet, you are to fight for your family. So... There's an experiment, and I can't think of a better word than that, going on in the state of Illinois. And you'd think that all the trouble comes out of Washington, D.C., my town. That's not the case at all. Sometimes when you're trying to be a, quote, change agent, you start in one area. And if you can get it to work there, then the next thing you know, you can spread out and you can get it to start working other places. That is, of course, if you don't have any people who are being Nehemiahs and watchmen on the wall, well, Illinois has such people, I'm happy to report. One of them is Lori Higgins. She became the Illinois Family Institute's cultural affairs writers in the fall, cultural affairs writer, there's one writer, multiple affairs, in the fall of 2008. Before that, she worked full-time for eight years in a high school, in a writing center in Chicago's North Side. Her cultural commentaries have been carried on a number of pro-family websites, both nationally and internationally. She does radio a lot all over the country. And I'm so thankful because her work got my attention recently because of some pretty nefarious stuff that's working its way, attempting to anyway, into the public classrooms in Illinois. But Lori, I would be remiss if I didn't start out by saying, why do you call yourself, and I love this because I guess I'm in that same camp, why do you call yourself an accidental activist? (laughs) Well, first, thanks so much for having me. It's really an honor to be here. Well, because I never planned on it. I was a mother. I had four children. I stayed home and was raising them. And then I started working at the high school, actually, that I attended and my kids attended. And I began to see what was going on. And I was just addressing it with my administration and my colleagues in the English department, telling them, if we're going to address these really controversial issues, it's incumbent upon educators to address these all perspectives on these, because if you don't, you undermine the very primary purpose of education. And I got such blowback. I was friends with people in the English department, and then I became persona non grata just for saying we should be addressing all sides on these controversial issues. So that's sort of what started me on this. I never set out to become an activist. And you weren't looking to pick a fight. No, not at all. And and that was what was so ironic is that all I was saying was we need diversity when we're going to address controversial issues. If you deem the conservative perspective as hateful and creating an unsafe space, 
then just take the issue out of school because you can't simply promote one set of ideas, one set of assumptions. Yeah. Well, let me tell you how logical that is. And I know logic is uh, fast fainting, but let me just tell you why that was so logical. First of all, the definition of education, as you and I both know, is sift and weighing ideas, right? And you don't have to put your imprimatur of approval on any, but you have to have an all-comers policy so that the student can sift and weigh and learn for themselves. So that, that makes perfect sense. Number two, you rightfully identified the fact that if a certain perspective on an issue is not allowed in the classroom then maybe it shouldn't be in the classroom in the first place because it isn't just a worldview. There are moms and dads and kids connected and subscribing to that particular worldview. So why would you exorcise it out of the classroom? But again, Lori, I think we're witnessing the death of common sense. We're not thinking logically on these sorts of things, which takes me to this amazingly problematic cultural responsive teaching and leading standards. It sounds rather banal, sounds very educational, But it isn't. Tell me about it. No, it's not at all. And, in fact, these were so controversial that this made the national press. In fact, we're very thankful Stanley Kurtz from National Review covered it. You know, even the Chicago Tribune came out and said, you know, these are too politicized and the and the culture right now is too divided. They should hold off on passing this. It actually didn't go through the normal legislative process. It was just a rules change. So it went mm-hmm. through a committee of 12 people. And what this, in essence, does, the standards, it is to infuse the assumptions of critical race theory or Black Lives Matter or identity politics, whatever you want to call it, teaching for social justice, into All teacher training programs, that means the programs that are preparing our future teachers in colleges and universities, all professional education licensing, and thereby indirectly into all curricula, all these assumptions. And and it's clear when you read some of them that these are leftist assumptions, and they're wildly controversial. But it passed, and now that's going to go into our school system. Wow. Is there any recourse? No, really, in Illinois, first of all, we have a supermajority in both houses. So even if it had gone through the normal legislative process and we have a Democrat governor, Pritzker, it would have passed anyway. So, I mean, the only recourse, I hate to say this, when I first came aboard IFI, I was really trying to get people involved in their schools to change them. But right now, schools are too far gone here in Illinois. I mean, my argument is that no Christian should be have their children in public schools here in Illinois at least because now we have a whole host of indoctrination curricula that are that apply to kindergarten through senior year in high school introducing them to leftist ideas about cross-sex impersonation and homosexuality mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and so you can't really I mean you can't train up your child in the way they should go when their schools are teaching them that that which is evil is good Parents need to get their kids out of schools, and churches need to make that possible. Yeah. Wow. Lori, let me linger here because this is such an important point. And I'm telling you, your story is so much like mine. It's amazing. And like you, I I look at the public schools always have as a mission field. God bless the teachers who were called by the Lord to serve there. Uh, God bless those students who are going to have more of an influence on their classroom than their classroom is going to have on them. But then you also have to do a constant review of the situation, some critical thinking, some analysis of where you're at. I was just talking to a mom the other day who heads an organization called Partners for Critical Care. 
for ethical care. And this started out as a group in Northern Virginia who said, uh, we're seeing a real kind of aggressive approach and total infusion of this transgender thinking. So, for example, they would ask a question. Tommy, who is now called Susie, is uh, 10 years old. Kathy, who's now called John, is four years old. What are the years of difference between the two? You just infused sexual ideology in a math problem unnecessarily. This goes to exactly what you're saying about critical theory preceded critical legal theory, which preceded critical race theory. But it all has this idea that it's going to be so infused, you can't pull it out. And that's what we're seeing now in the classrooms in Illinois, as I understand it. We have it in in a number of ways. In 2019, we passed a law. I call it the LGBT school indoctrination law. And now we have the, the REACH Act, which is going to mandate comprehensive sex ed, mandate in every school from K through 12. We have these cultural, culturally responsive teaching and leading standards. All of these have one thing in common, which is they are promoting a certain set of ideas about homosexuality and cross-sex identification. I don't like to use the language of the left because I think it concedes ideological mm-hmm. ground to them. I so, but all the things that we're going to start seeing, which is mandatory pronoun, incorrect pronoun use, restroom policy, locker room policy, all of those are teaching our little ones something about biological sex. It's teaching them that biological sex has no intrinsic and profound meaning relative to modesty and privacy. Bodily embodiment means nothing. And that's what it's teaching them, even if it's not explicit yet at kindergarten. Oh. Just absolutely amazing. So this is now going to be in the classrooms. And, you know, while we're talking about the state of Illinois, which is your home state, Lori, this is not germane just to Illinois. Manifestations of this are starting to pop up in classrooms all across the country, are they not? Absolutely. When I first came aboard in 2008, as you mentioned, that many years ago, a father called me from a, it was either a central or southern Illinois community. His first grader had come home with a picture book about homosexuality, and the father was very upset, and, and his, his community was very conservative, and I asked him, is the teacher young? And he said, yes. And I said, they're coming out of schools, colleges, and universities that are teaching them, and they've been teaching this for 30 years, as you say, starting with critical theory. And so you cannot count on teachers reflecting the values of your community. This is coming through professional development. Those are the Mm -hmm. teacher training that takes place on institute days and late arrival days, the professional training that's offered that parents are paying for. And all of that is intended to come into the classroom The left knows that it's easier to transform the views of a 16-year-old than a 26-year-old and easier still with a 6-year-old. And that's why they're trying to introduce these at very, very young ages. Wow. So there's Lori Higgins, the accidental activist, a mom, now a grandmom as well, and just thought that she was looking well to the ways of her household and was working down at the high school writing center. And boy, the next thing you know, she realized that there is a war out there, not the war that we talk about, the culture war. I think that term is actually ancient and outdated. I'd rather refer to the one in Ephesians 6. Those two mutually exclusive worldviews fighting for predominance in the human heart. The modality 
is a myriad of different ways, including but not limited to the classroom. And did you catch what Lori just said? It's easier to get somebody, not when they're 26, but when they're 16, even easier when they're six. So the propagandizing starts early. What do you do as a mom and dad? Lori, that's what I want to take up afterwards because it'd be real easy to say, oh, man, I'm with the majority spies. They're giants out there. I'm just a grasshopper. I can't do anything. What does a mom and dad do if they know this kind of stuff is being poured into the heart chambers of their child? I'll get your response when we return. More of IFI's Lori Higgins interview with Janet Parshall after this. Have you ever noticed how many churches sit empty throughout the week? Well, Freedom Project Academy wants to change that. And it's a simple concept. Partner with churches across the country to provide fully accredited, biblically-based online classes that allow every church that sits empty Monday through Friday to start their own school. Let's fill up our churches all week long. Visit Freedom Project Academy because together we can faithfully educate America. Thanks for joining Illinois Family Spotlight. During this edition, we're featuring comments from IFI's Lori Higgins from an interview with Janet Parshall during Moody Radio's In the Market program. We're visiting with Lori Higgins, who became the Illinois Family Institute's cultural affairs writer in the fall of 2008. And by the way, God has really gifted her as a writer. I've got a link, by the way, to the Illinois Family Institute, and there are a whole bunch of pieces that Lori has written. Very succinct, very accurate, very factual, and it is a wake-up call for moms and dads to understand exactly what's going on. Lori loves her family. She loves the Lord. There's not a conflict there at all, and she's looking to do what she can to protect our family. So, Lori, you just, it's its, it's so hot off the presses, there's steam coming off my computer right now. <laughs> you just wrote a brand new piece about a bill that was introduced in the Senate in Illinois called the Equitable Restrooms Act. You cannot make this stuff up. Tell me about it. No, this is so outrageous. <laughs> that one, I really blew a gasket when I read that. It's been proposed now that any new multiple occupancy bathrooms built in Illinois will now be all gender. And if there is a bathroom nearby that one, apparently they mean single gender. They wrote it very awkwardly. That one must also become all gender. That's their language. They mean mixed sex or co-ed. And if there's any existing bathrooms that are going to be retrofitted to become all gender, that any nearby bathroom must also be all gender. What they're going to come to eventually, because the end game for what I call the trans cult, because the beliefs are so, well, absurd, incoherent, science-denying, is the eradication of public recognition of sex differences everywhere for everyone. That's the end goal. The end goal is not to allow just a few people who are confused about their biological sex or they wish they were the sex they aren't. This is about the eradication of all public recognition of sex differences. We see it on driver's license, birth certificates. Now I think they're doing it on passports, and they're doing it on birth certificates for identifying biological mothers as the fathers. So this is where we're headed. Uh, If I can get to your question, because I love it, about what people should do, I want to say one of the first things that Christians have to do is they have to be prepared to suffer and be hated. And they are not. I can tell you with assurance they are not. 
we're told that we should consider it joy to encounter trials for Christ, that the world is going to hate us because it first hated him. And Christians will say, well, I'm not going to say that because someone might be mad at me or they might call me a hater. And I'm wondering what scripture they're reading. So that's the most important thing. We are going to be hated. There is no way that you can address particularly the issues regarding homosexuality or marriage and the trans cult without being called a hater. And then people have to become educated, and they need to educate their children. They need to understand how to dialogue with the secular world. So they need to understand Mm -hmm. where are the flaws in the specious reasons that the left gives for defending whatever they're defending, because their arguments are, at their core, flawed. Wow. Let me take both of those because they're so important. Let me go to the hate first. Lori, you know there are people listening as we're talking to folks all across the country that are saying, wait a minute, you said I have to prepare to be hated. Probably, maybe you're just being obnoxious. Maybe you're just being hateful. Do you believe, and this is a leading question, and before opposing counsel objects, let me just get my question in. (laughs) Do you believe that even if we said it with a grace narrative, winsomely, conscious of the fact that there are hurting people in the center of every bit of bad public policy. We're talking about the policy aspects right now. That doesn't negate the fact that we know that there are hurting people who need to have people come alongside and minister to their brokenness. If you don't know who you are, that's broken. When Paul makes the declaration in him, we live and move and have our being, that's wholeness. He knows whose he is because he knows who he is and vice versa. So, Lori, I want to just negate that that kind of sloppy thinking that says, well, you're just obnoxious. You showed up with a pitchfork and you were going to burn down the school and you're being hateful and no wonder they can't stand us Christians. The truth can be obnoxious to people no matter how graciously it's articulated. Am I right or wrong? Absolutely right. And that's really important. I would say one thing we have to realize when we're called extremists and bigots and everything, we have to know what is the standard? What is the standard of truth? In order to know what an extremist is, you have to know what the standard is by which you're making that determination. I would say if Christians would spend more time focusing on the eternal lives of people we care about, rather than their temporal lives, we would probably do better on discussing these issues. We know as parents that when we're raising our children, we often have to say to them, you are doing something very wrong. And we say that and they feel bad, but we say it because we love them. And so, you know, C.S. Lewis writes in Abolition of Man that Mm. we have a task as Christians to teach the, I think he calls them small animals or small creatures. (laughs) We have to teach them to love that which is worthy of being loved and to hate that which is condemnable. His point is we're supposed to be cultivating not just ideas, but feelings. I mean, we really are the proverbial frogs in boiling water. We Mm -hmm. are now allowing kindergartners to be introduced to ideas they should know nothing about. And not only that, we're allowing those ideas to be presented implicitly and explicitly positively. It's, I mean, I'm continually amazed that Christians are allowing this. I agree. And I think what grieves my heart as a mom and as a grandmother is that there's no court of redress. Once you have violated, you've pierced that veil of innocence that God so lovingly puts around the hearts and minds of these little ones. 
you can't undo. You can't let them unsee what they've seen and unhear what they've heard. And that's why you and I have to stand in the gap for them. So we don't give up. The second point, and Lori, we ran out of time. There's so much more I could talk to you about. But this idea of learning how to dialogue with the secular world. I'm going back to Brother Paul again. He did not give that address in Acts 17 until he had spent a year and a half in Athens listening to a pagan culture. The saying of the day, there are more gods than men in Athens. So listen, pay attention, and then be prepared to contend for the faith, as it tells us in the book of Jude, and to give a reason for the hope that resides within you. Hear where that person's coming from, and then, like Paul said, I hear where you're coming from, but, and you and I provide the truth-laden, truth-inspired, truth-exalting fill-in-the-blank that they're looking for. Their ideas are built on shifting sand. You and I stand on the solid rock of God's word. Lori, keep writing. There's fire in your pen. I appreciate so much what you're doing. Let's stay in touch because there are so many important issues that you write about. And I know people would love to hear about it. So go to InTheMarketWithJanetParshall.org. Learn more about the Illinois Family Institute. And you can read a whole cadre of articles that Lori has written as well. Just go to that info page, InTheMarketWithJanetParshall.org. Red box, program, details, and audio. Click it on. Takes you over to the information page. You'll learn more about Lori and Dr. Lee Edwards as well. Phew, that's a lot of news for one hour. I'm glad we spent it together. We'll see you next time on In the Market with Janet Parshall. IFI's Lori Higgins and Janet Parshall during Moody Radio's In the Market program. Be sure to stay up to date on state and federal legislation through the Illinois Family Institute's homepage and through IFI's email alerts. Sign up for those emails on the IFI homepage. Please support the work of IFI. All donations are tax-deductible. Also, tell your family and friends about Illinois Family Spotlight. Until next time, stay healthy, stay active, and God bless. For more information about Illinois Family Spotlight, visit ifiaction.org. And to email questions and comments, do so at feedback at ifiaction.org.